Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Are you ready for the message? It's going to be great. Speaking on God's holiness is Pastor Anthony Davis. Would you please welcome him with a round of applause? Thank you, Bill. Wow. Well, good morning. I am Anthony Davis, and for those that haven't seen me clean shaven, it's been like three years. It's really me. It's really Anthony. It's like I keep running into people that don't recognize me, but it's true. And I am here preaching to you from the Arctic tundra of first service. And today we are in the upward journey. Sorry, it is true though. Man, I walked in, I'm like, it's cold in here. But we are doing a year long series on spiritual growth. If it's your first time here, yes, a year long series is awful long. So we broke it up into three mini-series is all on spiritual growth. The inward journey, which was the first four months, that's done. The upward journey, which is what we're in the middle of now, and then the outward journey coming up. And if a four-month series still seems a bit daunting, you're right. So we broke it up into mini, mini-series. Ah, ah, that's right. And the one we're in right now is the attributes of God. But first, let's cover what exactly the upward journey is. We have a catchphrase. And here it is, beholding and becoming. And we take this right out of 2 Corinthians 3.18. I will now read that. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And the idea here is, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church saying, we need to look at who God is. We need to get to know God. We need to encounter God, spend time with God. And guess what's going to happen when you do that? You're going to become like God. God is going to rub off on you. You become like the people you associate with. And Paul is saying, we all need to be spending more time with God. And if you do that, it will be difficult not to become like him. Amen? Amen. All right, moving on. We are in a series, a mini-series, two months, on the attributes of God. So what in the world is an attribute? Well, I'm going to let A.W. Tozer answer that. We're basing this message on his uh, really neat little book called The Knowledge of the Holy. And if you've never read Tozer, I would suggest it because he's awesome. And The Knowledge of the Holy is short. And it sounds impressive. So short and sounds impressive, that's a win. Also available as a free PDF. Here's Tozer's definition. An attribute of God is whatever God has in any way revealed as being true of himself. It is also something that we can conceive as being true of him. God, being infinite, must possess attributes of which we can know nothing. I love this definition of an attribute because it reminds us of two things. One, if God says he's loving, we can take that to the bank. He's loving. We can believe it. If he says he's merciful, we can believe it. Whatever God says is true of him, we can believe it, but we fall into a trap. If you've been a Christian 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, sometimes we can think we have God all figured out, right? He becomes less mysterious than our best friend. Our best friend might still surprise us, but not God. We've, you know, we know what he's like. We've got him in a nice little box. We know all the attributes. Tozer's just reminding us, don't forget he's infinite. Don't forget he's still God. Don't forget that you're still a person. And while you can know some things for sure about God, you will never quite know him all the way because he's God. Today's attribute is holiness. Holiness is right on the edge of what we can conceive about God and what we can't. 
in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah encounters the Lord, and he's stunned by the majesty of God, and he sees these angels flying around God's head, as it were, and what are they saying? Holy, 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 right. They're, not, they're saying, holy, 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 that's got to be pretty important, but I've got to confess to you, that doesn't help me understand what in the world holiness actually is. So it's this mysterious attribute that's out there. We know it's true of God. He's always calling himself the Holy One of Israel. I'm holy. Be holy because I'm holy. Holy, holy, holy. Lots of holiness. But what in the world are we talking about? Do we imagine that God is some sort of, well, this is going to give you an insight into what I've thought of holiness. Is God really in heaven with this prudish look on his face, micromanaging our morality angrily? Right? Is he really maybe wearing like a floor-length skirt and a funny hat and you know, pointing down at us. Is that what we think of God's holiness? If, if so, good news. Holiness is better than you think. And my goal today, <laughs> yeah, amen. Thank you, Jesus. My goal today is to give you a few things that you can take away and say, God's holiness is like this. It's not exhaustive, but I just want to give you a couple things that you can know. God is holy, and that means this for sure. Does that sound good? So I'm going to have two challenges to our thinking, and then the third challenge that's a little bit different on the way. You guys ready to dive in? Awesome. Let's start with Leviticus. Yay! Here's a good verse about, oh, I heard some boos, I think, from the back. Oh, hang with me. It's going to be good. Here's an extended quote from Leviticus 20, 24 to 26. I am the Lord your God who has set you apart from the nations. You must therefore make a distinction between clean and unclean animals and between unclean and clean birds. Do not defile yourself by any animal or bird or anything that moves along the ground, those that I have set apart as unclean for you. You are to be, there's our word, holy to me, because I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. Again, Leviticus 20, 24 to 26. Man, there's weird stuff in Leviticus, right? All kinds of weird stuff if you read it, like, you, you can't eat catfish, but you can't eat a deer, but you can't eat pork, and don't trim your beard, and don't wear clothing with misfabrics, and don't sow your fields with two different kinds of crops at the same time, and you can only use these animals to plow your fields together, but not these kind. Also, organize your week around this one special day and have all these weird festivals. That's weird, isn't it? There's just weird stuff in Leviticus, but I digress. We'll come back to that. So... Right off the bat, we notice the word holy, right? Because this message is on holiness. But I want to draw your attention to a recurring word that's been translated here in two different ways. Set you apart, said three times, and make a distinction. Somebody say distinction. Distinction. We're going to hammer that word, distinct, distinction today. This is the same Hebrew word. And I am not a Hebrew scholar, but I have the Blue Letter Bible app, and so I am going to try. Set apart. This is super key when we're talking about holiness. I think it's pronounced badal. I am probably wrong. Find somebody who's graduated from seminary and ask them. But according to my handy-dandy Mounts' expository, this word means to separate oneself, to be expelled, to separate, to sever completely, or to distinguish between. And if you get on your Blue Letter Bible app, have I mentioned the Blue Letter Bible app? I really like the Blue Letter Bible app and everyone should get it. This word is used to mean divide, separate, sever, or to make a distinction. This is a powerful word. Here it is again in Leviticus with yet another weird thing from Leviticus. 
talking about how the priests should offer sacrifices when the sacrifice is a bird, God says that the priest shall remove its crop with its contents and cast it beside the altar on the east side in the place for the ashes. So specific. He shall tear it open by its wings, but shall not sever it completely. This is a powerful image. This being set apart, this making a distinction, is vividly portrayed here by someone grabbing something by the wings and yanking it apart and ripping it. It's as if I had a, a, a great big piece of paper here and I just ran up and grabbed it and tore off a chunk and said, this is mine now. This is separate. This is set apart. I have bedalled it. I just wrecked that word and I liked it. So this is no longer a part of this. This is mine. I own it. So it's distinct. I've made a distinction. This thing that I just tore off is mine. Holiness conveys that type of separation and distinction. In the ancient world, we're going way, way back to Israel's neighbors. When Moses is writing this, he's writing it in a culture that understood that lots of objects, places, or people could be holy. So when Moses, who was raised where? He was raised in Egypt, right. He runs into this weird bush, and the bush says, take off your shoes, this is holy ground. He understands that completely. He just wandered into a God spot, maybe, as if he went to sit down on the couch, and he was like, whoa, that's my spot. Like, oh, geez, sorry, my bad, I'll scoot over. So it's not weird to him at all that he gets the revelation, this is holy ground. The ancient world understood that. You could have holy stuff, okay? But in contrast to that, Israel's God, Yahweh, reveals that he himself is holy and the focal point of holiness. This is unusual. He says in Leviticus 20, 26, you're to be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy. That doesn't seem like a big deal, but back in the day, you don't have a lot of ancient gods saying that they're holy. That's very, very, very rare. And it kind of begs a question. If holiness implies being separate and distinct, how is God separate and distinct? We're going to talk about a couple ways. You guys ready for the first one? We started with Leviticus. Is everyone still awake, paying attention? You're good? We're good? Excellent. Let's do this. God is distinct in his very being. Everything about God is utterly unique and holy. All the ancient gods, all Israel's neighbors, and this is important because the people who are reading this have a grid. They have a context that they're reading from. They have an understanding. And they know that all of these other ancient gods had beginnings. They all had beginnings, and usually those beginnings were tied to the beginnings of normal, natural phenomenon, like we have rains, we must have a rain god. You know, we have a sun, so there must be a sun god. There's a sky, so we've got a sky god. There's earth, we must have an earth god. There's mosquitoes, we must have a comical, vindictive god. So they understood that... The gods were tied to these natural phenomenon, and when did the gods come to be? Well, whenever these things came to be. They were linked. They were tied together. And the first gods usually arose out of, like, these primordial, swirling chaos waters, right? And they usually had these big epic stories about how the first gods, like, arose out of the waters and did battle, you know? And they'd sit around, and they, this was kind of their entertainment and their religion all at the same time, right? I mean, the Babylonians had the story of you know, Marduk doing battle against the chaos dragon and then forming the cosmos out of its corpse. And I mean, it's pretty, 
gruesome stuff, right? But it's entertaining and it's action-packed, and that was the entertainment. So when these ancient cultures talked about the beginnings of their gods, man, these were the stories you wanted to hear, dude. I mean, put the kids to bed. We're going to talk about the beginning of the gods. But keep that in mind and open your Bible to the very beginning and read this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. Oh, man, is that chaos water imagery? Are we about to have a story about the beginning of the God? Not so fast. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. He never came out of it. He never had a beginning. He never started. He always was. God wants his people to know from the very beginning that he is in no way like those other gods. Don't put me in that box. I am distinct. And fittingly, the Bible teaches the exact same thing about Jesus. Jumping into the New Testament, John 1, 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. Why the redundancy? You ever read John 1 and think, was he senile? Was he like 96 when he wrote this? What is he? John, you already said that. Okay, he was with God in the beginning. He was God. We got it. No, it's because you had these first gods that were created back in the day. They came out of the water, and then they made other gods. I mean, some of the Egyptian stuff is really pretty weird. You got like this weird god. I think his name was Atum or something. And he makes gods out of bodily fluids, like spit and sweat and other things. It's, it's really, it's pretty weird, right? So John wants you to know Jesus didn't come around like that. He's always been, just like Yahweh's always been. I'm not like them. I am distinct. In my very being, I am holy. There's nothing about me that's like them. Does that make sense? The distinction is super important. Because those ancient gods that he's trying to tell you, I'm not like them, everyone else is serving something that I am not like. He wants them to know that he's different because those other gods were weird and they had strange qualities that were less than perfect and undesirable. And they had those qualities because, to quote one of my favorite nerds, the baser qualities came with the fact that the deities of the ancient Near East were perceived in, of course, human terms. Israelites had to be constantly reminded that the, by the prophets the Yahweh is not like a human and not like other gods. So look at the, the sick, twisted progression, right? We have a perfect holy God that creates people in his image, which is good, but admittedly a large step removed from the God himself, but still good. We fall and become corrupted and marred and nasty by sin, and then we decide we want to create our own gods in this fallen, nasty, corrupted image. Then we hear about the true God and we say, oh, you must be like this. No! God is saying, don't put me in that box. Way wrong, guys. Time out. I need you to know at the beginning of the book, I am not like that. I'm holy. I'm distinct. Amen. Amen. All right. We've come to holiness challenge number one, and this is a challenge to our thinking. You guys ready for a challenge? Is your view of God distinct enough, or is it too human? Is it too human? We have a hard time grasping just how distinct and how separate and how not like us God is. 
So sometimes we think of him in human terms without even realizing it. So let me give some, some cues. You might have a too human, not distinct enough view of God if you've ever thought of God as being petty or vindictive. If you've ever thought that God and his decision-making or his plan is unreliable, he's hit and miss. Sometimes it's a good decision, sometimes it's bad, sometimes it could have been handled better, but he does the best he can. If you've ever thought that God is passive-aggressive, well, I got in that fender bender today because yesterday I stole that pen. I don't know. But if you've ever thought that that's how God works, might, might not be a distinct enough view. If you think that God is constantly ambiguous, intentionally unclear in his communication because he enjoys watching you squirm, he likes watching you try to figure out what he means. If you've ever thought that God is in any way snarky, you know, you stub your toe and you imagine God chuckling. You know, you mess up and you imagine God saying, nice going, genius. If you've ever had these thoughts, I want you to know what God wants you to know. He's holy. He's distinct. He's not like that. This is the other guys. Sometimes we still serve things that aren't real gods, don't we? And I want you to know today, he's not like those things either. Those things are all pretty gross. God is holy. He's distinct in his very being. He's fundamentally different than the other gods and us. Another great time for an amen. amen. All right, excellent. You know, there is a great verse in the Bible that, that says God's not like us, and it's a beautiful segue to my second point, so we're going to read it. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, that's pretty high, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, if I stop there, that's not a poorly done slide, I promise. I left that space on purpose. We might be contemplating, how is he different? How are your ways higher than our ways? And I just gave a few examples, and we would be right to contemplate that. But Isaiah tells us what he means. If we expand this out to Isaiah 55, 7 to 9, we see the context. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. Then he says, I'm not like you. It's as if he knows that we know how bad we've messed up, how fallen we are, how wicked we are, and he says, just come back to me and I'm going to forgive you. And by the way, I know none of you would do this if the situations were reversed, but lucky for you, I'm holy, I'm distinct. I'm not like you. I can forgive. God is holy and distinct in his goodness. But you'll notice that implied in this is also a moral code. The wicked have to forsake their ways, right? The unrighteous have to forsake their thoughts. There's forgiveness involved. There's a rectifying of bad behavior. And that's because of point number two. God is holy. He's distinct in his moral purity. To Israel's neighbors, the ancient peeps that were around them, holiness had zero moral implications. Isn't that crazy? We don't think about that that way at all today, but it's true. Something that was holy, something that was set apart for the God's service for whatever reason, at their you know, little g, quote-unquote, gods, they could be positive, negative, or even dangerous things. Cult prostitutes were considered holy. You could have a profession or a person or a lifestyle that if you just chose to do that by yourself, you'd be held in disdain and mocked. 
but suddenly you do it in a temple for the God's service, and people are like, oh, it's holy, it's set apart. It creates a weird dynamic, doesn't it? I mean, you end up taking your shoes off to a bush because the spot that you're standing on is holy, and you really have no idea why. But they were used to that. But Israel's God changes the game. Yahweh comes into town and says, holiness is tied to my character. He's the only being that's 100% morally and ethically pure with no possibility for evil. We can't get away from the ethical and moral dynamic of holiness because it's tied to God's character. And this is going to show itself in his proactive goodness and his hatred of evil. Let's look at some verses. We're going to start with the hatred of evil. Did you guys know that God hates evil? You guys know he's not just annoyed by it. Like, we get poison ivy, and we really wish we hadn't gotten poison ivy, but we'll just deal until it goes away, life goes on. God has a deep, abiding abhorrence for evil. He loathes it. He hates it. It makes him sick. Zechariah, 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 we'll go with that, 8.17. Do not plot evil against each other, and do not love to swear falsely. I hate all this declares the Lord. And then Proverbs 8:13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Why do we do all kinds of weird contortions with the word hate when we talk about or excuse me, the word fear when we talk about fearing the Lord and what does that mean? Because we're commanded to do it, right? Fear the Lord. Well, the Bible will spell itself out usually if you let it. And right here God says, this is what it looks like to fear me hate evil like I do, because, man, I hate it. Let's move on. God's moral purity shows itself in his proactively good actions. Psalm 145, 9, the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. And this isn't just good, like, oh, I'm nice. I'm a nice guy, passively. This is an active goodness. This word for compassion is strong. It, it's a driven to respond, and he's good to all, just the people he likes. No, all. Psalm 145.9. I promise. It's in the Bible even. And if you jump forward into the New Testament, Jesus affirms in Luke 6, 27 and 35, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Do good to them. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. Why? Because that's exactly what he does. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked Part of God's holiness means that he is distinct in his goodness. He hates evil, and he's good to everybody. He's proactively good in action, but he's also good in intention. Did you guys know that God doesn't ponder evil? In his internal life, he's 100% morally and ethically pure. Look at these verses, both from Jeremiah. Jeremiah, if you don't know, well, some people call him the weeping prophet. He had to prophesy to Israel when Israel had already crossed the line. God was going to judge them. It had been coming for generations, and these were a people that had just become so unrepentantly and unrelentingly evil, the hammer had to fall. And it was Jeremiah's job to give that message. So here's him, God describing through Jeremiah, excuse me, some of what was wrong with Israel they killed their own sons and daughters and burned them as sacrifices. This is something I have never commanded. Something like this never even entered my mind. 
Think about it. We talked earlier about weird sacrifices with birds, right? But rest assured, there was never a time in eternity past in heaven where God was sitting up there pondering, maybe, maybe I'll have them kill their kids. Yeah, could that work? Well, I don't know. I want a big nation, and if they're killing their kids, they wouldn't grow as fast. And Yeah, let's just not go with that. That was never God's mindset. He hates evil. He doesn't contemplate it. Not for you or anyone else. Later in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is prophesying to the same evil people doing the same evil stuff, and God can't take it anymore. In 2911, he lifts the lid on what's going on in his heart and mind, and God says this, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. I've got to let you guys know, even though you're doing all this nasty stuff, even though you're way past the line, even though judgment is impending, I have to or else I wouldn't be good or just, I can't help but let you know I am still thinking good, th good thoughts towards you. I'm still thinking good things towards you and not evil. Would any of us do that? Would any of the ancient gods do that? Could we imagine a God that would act this way? No. Good news. God is holy. He's distinct. He's distinct in his moral purity. He's not like that. He's not like us. He's 100% good. Hates evil, and he's good in action and intention. Another great spot. Amen. Thank you very much. <laughs> Shameless. Who's ready for another holiness challenge? This is another challenge to our thinking. Here we go. Is your view of God distinctly good? If you've been a Christian for a while, you probably wouldn't say silly stuff like, I think God had a beginning. Or, I think God formed Jesus out of his sweat. I mean, that would seem really strange and odd, and, you know, we know better than to say crazy outlandish things like that, right? But we call God's holiness into question when we think about him as less than 100% good all the time. Here's some cues that you might have fallen into this trap. Do you think that God is only good to good people? Have you ever thought that God enjoys punishing the wicked? Have you ever thought that he has evil intentions for anyone? Have you ever thought that God can and does do evil things? And pause there. I remember one time I was talking to this guy who said he was an atheist at Steak and Shake. So right away, this is making up for a great story. And he's like, oh, you're a Christian? Well, your God's evil. And I'm like, what are you talking about? My God's not evil. He's good and he's love and all this stuff. And he's like, no, I can show you in the Bible. God does evil stuff. And he gets his King James out and opens the Bible and says, like, I, the Lord, have brought this evil upon you or something like that. And I was like, oh, no, my whole theology is crashing down. Well, relax. The same word that means, like, catastrophe or disaster, which can be applied to a righteous judgment, can also be translated evil. So it doesn't mean God's doing evil stuff. It means he had to do, a, like, a calamitous judgment. So just as an aside, take a deep breath if you see that in an older Bible. God is not evil. And if you've ever thought of him as arrogant or self-serving, by the way, you do not have a distinct enough view of God. He's not like that. He's 100% good all the time. Taking a breather. And we're back. All right. Third point. Holiness demands holiness. God demands distinction from his people. 
earlier, I gave you a weird list from Leviticus, and it's really the first five books of the Bible. There's bizarre stuff in there. Build a fence around the roof of your house. Don't eat lobster. Strange. You can't team up two different kinds of animals to plow your field. It has to be the same kind. Only plant your fields a certain way. By the way, you're going to have this thing called a week, and you're going to have a Sabbath day, and I want you to organize your lives around that. Also, you're going to have these feasts. Also, dress this way. Also, talk this way. Pray this way. Meet this way. Have sacrifices this way. Why is God doing that? Why all these rules? Well, there's a bunch of different reasons, but one thing he's doing is he's manufacturing distinction. I want my people to stick out like a sore thumb. I want it to be impossible for somebody to walk into a camp full of my people and think they're anybody else. I want them to know they're Israelites. These are Yahweh's people. I want them to walk in and say, oh, I know what's going on here. I have a grid for this. These are Hebrews. These are Israelites. That's why they're doing this. They're distinct. They're not like everyone else. Distinction is important. God demands it. And you know, if he's holy and he's demanding that we're holy, this really works with our beholding and becoming verse. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. Guys, that's a holy image. And if you think that's a stretch, our buddy Peter reaches way back into the depths of Leviticus and he yanks out this verse and plops it into the lap of the first century church. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. He's lifting Leviticus out of the Old Testament and tossing it into the laps of the first century church and saying, guess what? Holiness still applies. Well, what do we do with that? Dan, I notice you've got a goatee. You obviously trimmed the sides of your beard. I recently, you know, trimmed mine way down. Did I totally blow it? What's going on? I, I do look like somebody that used to come here a few years ago. That's true. It's, it's a, I told Alex Roy this morning, I actually am Anthony 2009. Anthony 2017 is really tired at home from the baby, so I got to preach. But, you know, we can't be distinct like they used to be distinct, right? Times have changed. Culture has changed. The world has changed. Even if we wanted to, we couldn't. And yet Peter is saying this still applies. This thing is still a requirement. It's looming. God demands holiness. He's distinct and he demands a distinct per people. So what do we do with that? And this leads us to challenge three, and that is simply this. Are you willing to be distinct? Are you willing to be distinct? And I'm going to walk backwards through this message, and I'm going to give you some ways to be distinct, some challenges, if you will, that are going to mirror the ways that we've talked about God being distinct. Are you willing to be distinct in this world through a purity of thought and intention? Are you willing to do the hard work in your inner life, to go through the healing and restoration ministry, to be transformed in the renewing of your mind, to take on the mind of Christ? Are you willing to do that? Because that will make you distinct. Are you willing to be distinct through proactive goodness, actually mimicking God's heart and action in your heart and action? Sometimes this just requires talking to the person or walking out your front door. But it takes willingness. Are you willing to be distinct? Will you do the good things? And will you hate the bad things? Are you willing to be distinct in your hatred of all evil? All evil. 
Why do I say that like that? Because everyone in this room is a people. I'm a people, and you're a people too. And there's this weird phenomenon where we hate evil in general, and we hate that evil, but we don't hate this evil. This one right here. This evil that is over here is like the queso at Qdoba. And I know I shouldn't because it's killing me, but I do. And I don't get the side, I get the full order. Sorry, Lord. Queso is not evil. It just represents evil in this message. But listen, are you willing to hate all evil? Are you willing to let God change your heart towards that thing? Are you willing to let him give you his vision and his opinion towards that thing? It will be easier to avoid if you hate it. I promise. But there's one other aspect of God's holiness we talked about, and that's his very being. Are you willing to be distinct in your very being? Well, time out. Anthony, are you about to talk heresy? Are you about to say that we become one with God? Is this some sort of weird new agey thing where we become the uncreated? De- no, none of that. Ignore that nonsense. But I'll tell you what. You can be distinct in your being. God says that he makes you holy. How does he do that? I'll share a verse with you that when I was 22 years old, I carried around on a note card in my pocket because I was fresh out of the world, still had plenty of heathen I had to wash off, and I needed a reminder, and that's this. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, somebody say, that's me. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are new, not theoretically. You are actually a new creation, and the old one is dead and gone. Sometimes that's hard to hang on to. Sometimes, if you're brand new, man, we have that, that rush of euphoria when we meet Jesus. Most of us do. I did. You know, and then again, when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I mean, it was amazing. But then the world comes and the devil comes and my memories come and the old me shows up and I need a reminder. Take this with you. Are you willing to realize that he has made you distinct in your very being? And I want to encourage you too. This is the last slide, I promise. If all of this seems impossible, it's like, man, I am, I am not ready to hate that evil thing. I am no way ready. I don't feel equipped for that. And man, I got to be honest, I don't even feel healthy enough to start doing proactively good things. I think that my internal life is a disaster, a train wreck. I don't even know where I'd start getting it under control. I've got rage, resentment. I've got fear. I've got bitterness. I've got unforgiveness. I've got judgments. I've got people I hate. I don't even know what to do. And I sure can't believe at this point that God's made me a new creation because I've got all this junk. Man, I'm reading the Bible. I want to believe it's true. Maybe you're not even saved. And you're thinking, none of this applies to me. I want to tell you it's worth it. Because Hebrews 12, 14 says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And that is true. If you want to make it, if you want to stand before God and hear well done and actually stay in his presence and not get cast aside, you must be holy. Have to, no exceptions, no other way. But good news. Paul wrote to these people called the Thessalonians. And he was really nice to them, unusually so. (laughs) And when he was writing to them, he said this, We are always thankful that God chose you to be among the first to experience salvation, a salvation that came through the Spirit, 
Who, what does he do? Makes you holy. The Spirit does that? Oh, man. Let that take some pressure off. If you're that person who's feeling like, I just don't even know how to tackle this mountain, the Spirit makes you holy and through your belief in the truth. If you are not in relationship with Jesus, if he's not your Lord and Savior, you've never become a Christian, you are not yet at step one. You are standing in front of step one. And if holiness seems like this unattainable, out there goal, I can never get there, I can never be that, that seems way too challenging, I need you to take a deep breath and just be willing to take that first step and let the Holy Spirit do what only the Holy Spirit can do. And that's make you a new creation in Christ. And from there, he will transform your heart and mind and it will mimic the distinct holiness of God. And once that's done, you'll start seeing it in your actions. Your tastes will change. Evil will become something you hate instead of something you love. And you will be quite distinct. Amen? Amen. I'm going to give it back to Bill to close. Thank you, Anthony. All right. Good Sunday this morning. I appreciate each and every one of you for coming to church this morning. It was really, really good. Let's just take a minute to pray and respond a little bit to what we heard. God, thank you so much that you are bigger than what we think you are. And uh, thank you for these messages that are opportunities for us to hear and, and try to see and perceive more of you, God. We just want to keep beholding who you are and becoming more like you. Pray that you would make us more holy, that you would, your spirit would be at work in each of us as we pursue you just day after day, God. We just commit our hearts to, to that, whether it's a good day or a bad day, to just take a step forward, take a step toward you, to not give up and to not turn back. And we trust in your ability, your power, your goodness to make us holy. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, as we wrap up, the prayer team will be available for you. If you um, have not chosen to make uh, Jesus your Lord and Savior, that's a great place to go. Meet with these folks. They'd love to pray with you. If you have any other prayer need whatsoever, they'd love to meet with you for that as well. Um, pursuing holiness, um, physical healing, anything at all, see those folks. And the Raymond team is on this side of the stage. They're available to just uh, sit with you, pray, hear God's voice, and offer you some encouragement to meet with one or two people during intersection. So jump right on it. Also, jump right on your banana bread and snacks. You can stand up and greet one another.